Hello, listeners. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And this is Heaven's Gate. No, it's not. What is it? Armchair Apocrypha. That's right. It's Armchair Apocrypha. This is the uh, podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Possibly. Possibly. We uh, we just got a new mic, and we've had some technical difficulties with it. <laughs> so if you hear us laughing, that's uh, that's what that's we're why. giggling about. Um, Nothing else. <laughs> Mercury is currently all up on us. Mm-hmm. He is not wanting to let us record the episode. Um, but he's, he's so cute. He's so cute. He's so cute. You, you have to check out the pictures of him. <laughs> um, how was your week? It was good. Yeah. Not too shabby. Yeah. It's been just dandy. All of those... Uh, um, shipments that have gone missing. Oh, God. I'm not going to talk about yesterday, though. We're okay. just going to pretend that didn't happen. It was fine and dandy except for yesterday. <laughs> Nothing to do with people or customers. Yeah. Just something that was completely, literally out of my hands. Yeah. And then you had um, you had a, a girls' brunch today. To yes. Basic Brit bitch brunch. <laughs> to just wash away yesterday. It was really nice. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was nice. It was good to catch it because I hadn't seen Megan in, like, months. Oh, yeah. And Allie in like a month, so it was really nice to see them. Well, good. And then I went shopping, cathartic shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and I have an outfit. Nice. You also got a uh, a Backstreet Boys CD. Oh yeah, because because we got tickets to the Backstreet Boys in September. Yeah. And apparently, with tickets, you get a CD, and apparently they emailed Allie and they're like, oh, you forgot, you haven't picked up your CDs yet. And she's like, what? <laughs> and then she got mailed the four CDs for the four tickets that she got. So nice. I have a Backstreet Boys CD. <laughs> and you should be jealous. <laughs> that's very... Were they late 90s or early 2000s? Late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. A little bit of both. At the very end of the 90s. It's very late 90s. Yeah. Okay. But so now I have their CD and I can put it in my car. <laughs> I should. I have to remember where I put the CD. It's here somewhere. I do not have any CDs in my car at the moment because my cars, I got my car from my mom and she broke the CD player with oh. um, Garth Brooks' CD ah, stuck inside rightfully it. so. So now you can listen to Garth Brooks all you want. I can only listen to <laughs> Garth Brooks <laughs> if Sounds I want like to listen to a CD. To <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> Luckily it has an aux cord, so I can just plug my... my uh, Spotify into it. Not sponsored by Spotify. <laughs> Hashtag. Speaking of Spotify, I keep getting that you only have one chance to get this 90-day trial of Spotify Premium ad, and I get it like three times in a row. Oh. So the first time it kind of works. The second time it kind of doesn't work. The third time it definitely <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work. work. Whoever made the a- algorithm for that, you you <laughs> need to be fired. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I've been doing a lot of repairs around the house. Mm-hmm. That looks uh, great. We I have, can see everything. Yeah. We now have functioning lights. Lights. Um, we also have a coat rack. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a shoe rack. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously have a new microphone because we just talked about it. Mm-hmm. I like my new job. Yes. Let's me buy all of these things that I like. <laughs> So I take it you've gotten your first paycheck? I have gotten uh, a couple paychecks Oh, yeah, now. it's been a while. It's not like yeah. it was yesterday. I also had to go to the uh, uh, federal student aid and ask for another... Um, deferment? Not deferment. Uh, 
income based repayment. Oh, good. Like you should. Like, like I should. should. Yes. If I would highly recommend if you are not doing the the income based repayment or the income driven repayment as it's called, please love yourself and go do that mm -hmm. as a professional. Yeah. Please do that. Um. Yeah. Good. Good for you. So that was our weeks. Uh, listeners, we would love to hear from you. Like we do this every week, and <laughs> we never get to hear from you. So send or us an email or send us a Facebook, <laughs> something like that. Um, do you want to get into tonight's episode? I'm so excited to hear what you have. For some reason, I have a strange feeling we're going to be completely opposites, or we're going <laughs> to talk about the exact same fucking thing. I don't think we're going to be talking about the same person. Okay, great. Oh, oh um, I'm not talking about a person, so there we are. Okay. I, I do have another. I do have another. Um, Turn that away from me. <laughs> I do have another uh, Black History Month. Oh, good! Um, I'm so glad. Oh shit! I didn't think about that. I'm doing like the whitest thing ever, <laughs> and you'll understand when I talk about my topic after that. All right. Um, I have another mystery for us, actually. Oh, good. Um, I'm, I'll solve it right here and right now. So, I'm going to be talking about a woman named Baby Esther. Baby Esther? Is she a baby? Is she like? Benjamin Button, but always a baby? No. Oh. It's, it's just her stage name. I've lost interest. No, I'm but just joking. I haven't, but... When we get to the end, there's, like, three baby Esthers. Love and it. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about okay. them. Okay, okay. So I'm going to start off with the first baby Esther, who was Esther Jones. Okay. Um, she performed in the 1920s. What's he doing? I can't just look. Just sitting. Okay. Uh, in the 1920s, she performed uh, as a, uh, a cabaret dancer and singer. Go ahead. She performed regularly for the Cotton Club in Harlem. Uh, she was known for her baby singing style, uh, in which she interpolated words in a scat manner, such as boo 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 and doo doo doo. That sounds not great. <laughs> Sometime in 1927 to 1928, a woman named Helen Kane saw Baby's Act somewhere at the uh, uh, the Cotton Club, um, and uh, she took that style of singing um, for uh, her first Victor release, That's My Weakness Now, okay. um, and later for a Broadway musical uh, called Good Boy, and then finally for her, sit her hit song, I Want to Be Loved by You, in 1928, where she became famous overnight. Oh, shit. So, we've got Esther Jones to start with, moving on to Helen Kane. In 1930, Flesher Studios uh, animator Grim Natwick introduced a caricature of Helen Kane in the form of an anthropomorphic singing dog with droopy ears and a squeaky singing voice. Ew. Betty Boop, as the character was yeah. later dubbed, soon became popular and the star of her own cartoons. In 1932, Betty Boop was changed to a human, mm -hmm. with uh, the long dog ears becoming hoop earrings. Yep. In May 1932, Helen Kane filed a $250,000 lawsuit against Ma Max Flesher and Paramount Publics Corporation for exploiting her image. She charged that they were creating unfair competition and wrong wrongful appropriation in the Betty Boop cartoons, contending that Betty Boop's boop oop a doop style constituted a, a deliberate character that gave her unfair competition. Yeah. Betty Boop does sing like a little baby. Yes. The trial opened that year in 1932 in the New York S State Supreme Court with Kane and Betty Boop films being viewed only by the judge. No jury was called. <laughs> no judge was being called? No jury was called. No oh, jury. 
Vocal performers Margie Hines, Little Ann Little, Kate Wright, Bonnie Poe, and most notably Mae Questel, who you may know as the voice of Olive Oil, oh, yeah. were summoned to testify. Little Ann Little told the court how the boop oopa doop phrase had started out as bada indi do, which developed into bo boda do do do, and finally into boop oopa doop. Mm-hmm. Helen Kane's counsel asked Little, who spoke throughout the trial in a Betty Boop voice, "Oh, do you speak that little way? Uh, do you speak like that at home?" Little responded to the court, "Yes, indeedy." Oh, fuck that! <laughs> She's such a liar. Max Flesher's defense argued that Kane had taken the idea from Baby Esther. Evidence was produced that Kane actually derived that singing style from watching Baby Esther perform at the Cotton Club several years before the creation of the mm-hmm. Betty Boop character. Theatrical manager Lou, who I saw written out as Lou Bolton and Lou Walton, so I'm not sure which one is correct. Okay. Lou um, testified for the defense that starting in 1925, he had coached a quote-unquote young Negro child named Esther, teaching her how to interpolate her songs with scat lyrics, boo-boo-boo and doo-doo-doo, which Kane later reinvented as her trademark boo-boo-ba-doop. Lou Bolton also testified that he and Kane had seen her act together in April 1928, and just a few weeks later, Kane began to boop. Uh From the trial, defense attorney, what sounds did she, baby Esther, interpolate? Lou, boo, 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 boo. Defense attorney, what other sounds? Lou Walton, do, 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 do. Defense attorney, any others? Lou, yes, wah, da, da, da. The court stenographer then broke down at this point. He threw his hands into the air as a gesture of despair and announced that he would need aid in spelling meaningless sounds. Yes, yes. The stenographer <laughs> comes to the rescue. Finally, the stenographer's like, fuck this shit. <laughs> I'm out of here. These aren't words. <laughs> I do not get paid enough for this. In addition to adducing Baby Esther's performances, they also showed performances by actress Clara Bow, who also had the Betty Boop style of hair and dress. In 1934, the Afro-American newspaper wrote, Baby Esther originated from, Baby Esther originated Boop 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 Doop style of singing, and Helen Kane, a white movie and radio star, barefacedly swiped it and made a fortune from it in a court trial. Um, After a two-year legal struggle, Max Flesher located a sound film made in 1928 of her performing, which was introduced as evidence. According to Lou, the film had been tampered with. The film did not break at the point of the boop-oop-a-doop part. They did not show this in court. What happened was the print had been sliced in uh, several places due to breakage and went out of sync at the crucial point due to lost frames. Uh, Katie Fister, head of Film Cutter, stayed up all night locating spots to insert black film slugs to replace the lost f- frames to put the crucial spot back in sync. A new married print with optical sound was produced, the Paramount News Lab being kept open all night, waiting for this to, be prese- uh, to present as evidence the next morning. Paramount, using this tape, was able to prove that Kane did not uniquely originate or have claim to the Betty Boop style of singing or look. Excuse me. Judge Edward McGoldrick ruled, the plaintiff has failed to sustain either cause of action or proof of sufficient probative charge. In his opinion, the baby technique of singing did not originate with Kane. 
Jones is now spoken of mo mostly in the context of her contributions to Betty Boop's uh, vocal stylings. Jazz studies scholar Robert O'Mealy has referred to Jones as Betty Boop's black grandmother. Uh, if you see the meme that I saw, which inspired this, uh, there is a woman um, who looks like a black performer in uh, white makeup, mm -hmm. who is usually, uh, it's this photo is usually um, misattributed it to Esther Jones. Okay. It's actually a photo of a Ukrainian cosplayer by the name of Olya Gussi, who posted several photographs as, as Betty Boop went viral and has been seen by millions of people on the internet where the photo has been mistaken as either Baby Esther or Heather Ka uh, Helen Kane. Okay. There was another Esther, Esther Mae Phillips, um, who was originally born uh, Esther Mae Jones and went by Esther Jones in her earlier singing career, who was a blues singer with a versatile, sing uh, with a versatile palette who sung soul music, pop, country, and R&B. Little Esther, who had debuted in the 1940s as Little Esther, and sometimes Little Esther Phillips, uh, kicked off her career in 1950 with her first hit record entitled Double Crossing Blues. When Baby Esther Boop uh, became popular, Baby Esther was mistaken for Little Esther, and Little Esther for Baby Esther. Esther Mae Phillips, originally known as Esther Jones, and Baby Esther somehow inherited the uh, last name Jones from Little Esther. Is that yeah. confusing enough for you? I was with you <laughs> the entire time of that. I think you promise. I'm on board. <laughs> Two women, both named Esther, with similar names. Yeah, that's great. Back and forth. Esther Mae Phillips takes on the name Esther Jones. Esther no. Jones takes on the name Esther Phillips. Don't do that. Back and forth. Baby Esther may also have been a stage name of Gertrude Saunders, another performer from Harlem, not to be confused with the other actress and singer with the same name. Of course. Why would you? Because, <laughs> yeah. Is everyone's name Esther <laughs> in this time period? I'm confused. I know it's very biblical, but come on. Apparently, back in the 1930s, there was just a plethora of Esthers. Apparently. I don't know any Esthers. <laughs> Do you? I do not know no, any Esthers. I don't Miss um, Saunders was featured in the Afro-American as the original Boop Boop a Doop Girl. Gertrude was then referenced in 1938, where it was declared that she debuted in Harlem at the Savoy, Connie's Inn, and the Cotton Inn with Clarence Robertson and Bert Adams. She figured prominently at the trial um, of Helen Kane, um, and the court eventually decided that this baby Esther, Gertrude Saunders, mm -hmm. not Esther Jones, not Esther Phillips, yeah, None was of those Esthers. the originator of the boop boop a doop style. Uh, okay. 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 Gertrude declared uh, that it was she who actually started booping before either Helen Kane, Esther Mae Phillips, or Esther Jones. Okay. So I don't know. Who's right? That's great. And I'm really confused about which Esther is which Esther. Hashtag armchair apocrypha. <laughs> Hashtag armchair apocrypha. That's a great question. I don't even know because I'm so confused about it all. But I really enjoyed that because I love Betty Boop. Thank you. Now you know a little bit about her, uh, her legal too. history. So what do you have for us today? <clears throat> 
that. You can do it if you want to. Okay. So, I remember first hearing about this in the Explain series about the women's pay gap thing. But today I'm going to talk about the 1975 Icelandic women's strike. So that's why I said it's a very whitewashing, because there's not very many black people in, in, Iceland. in Iceland. There are not. It is. My mom's been there. She goes, it's very, it's very, very cultural, but uh, there's only white people there. <laughs> only white people. Um, oh, shoot. Okay. But I would love to visit there because I hear it's like really beautiful and stuff. Yeah, it is really beautiful. Um, and the hot springs are lovely. Yeah. Oh, hot springs. I love those. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk about that. Okay. So as you know, <laughs> like most other countries before 1975, Icelandic, excuse me, I'm talking, <laughs> Icelandic women who worked outside the house home before 1975 earned less than 60% of what men earned. It was anywhere between 40 to 60%. Right. Because let's be honest. Um, Iceland was actually, the women in Iceland got the right to vote in 1915, okay. which is a few years before the U.S. It was actually behind only New Zealand and Finland, so they were the third country to get, uh, for women to have the right to vote. Right. Um, but over the next 60 years, only nine women took seats in Parliament, um, since that time period, which right. that's kind of like the same for other countries, let's be honest, this is not like an outlier right. at, in any means. Um, so in 1975, there were just three sitting female um, MPs, which I'm guessing are parliament members, or just 5% of the parliament, compared with between 16 to 23% in other Nordic countries at that time. Right. And this was obviously a big source of frustration. Because, um, you know, 16 to 23% is such a high number, too. But um, So the idea of a strike was first proposed by the Red Stockings, a radical women's movement founded in 1970, but to some Icelandic women, it felt too conf too confrontational. Um, just because they wanted to go on a strike, blah, 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 and people were like, I don't know, that might be too much. Uh, so in 1975, that was actually, um, is when um, it had been, been declared International Women's Year by the United Nations. Oh, yeah. This is the first year. Um, five of the biggest women groups in Iceland formed a committee to organize a commemorative event for that. Okay. So that's how it all kind of came together, so to speak. So the Red Stockings initially, like I said, it suggested a strike um, against the low pay and show the value of like the female labor um, within and outside the household. Um, the, so the committee decided to call it, instead of like a strike, something a little more subdued, they called it a day off um, so that women wouldn't be feared for being sacked for striking to attempt to get a, and also it had a better like public support to say it was a day off yeah. rather than a strike. It's like this is one day, it's not a strike because the strike has the intention that it will keep going until you get your demands. So call it a big day off. So call it a big day off, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so they chose uh, October 24th, the United Nations Day, for like International Women's whatever year, day, mm -hmm. sorry, day, um, for the actual protest. So this is like the day of like the first women's, uh, yeah. Um, the day off event organizers got to radio stations, television, and newspapers to run stories about gender-based discrimination and lower wages for women. The event garnered actual international attention, which is pretty awesome. So do you know what percent of women went on strike in Iceland? Uh, I'm going to guess 17 to 23 percent. 
90 fucking percent went on strike. Ninety fucking percent. This is why it's such a stark thing. And yet, there's not a lot of articles on this because <laughs> fuck that. So ninety percent uh-huh. of women went on strike in Iceland, meaning almost fifty percent of the population went on strike in That's Iceland. Amazing. So instead of going to the office, doing housework or childcare, they took to the streets and their and their and thousands to rally for equal rights with men. Um, so this is what happened. Fish factories were closed, hence the factory workers were primarily women. And that wasn't the only industry that shut down. Newspapers were not printed since the vast majority of typesetter, typewriters were women, and there were no telephone services that day. Many schools were closed or partially closed, as most of the people were te- or most of the teachers were women. Um, uh, flights were canceled as flight attendants did not come to work, and bank branches had to be staffed by executives as tellers took the day off. Many employers had to make arrangements for male employees to bring their children into work, and many shops sold out of sausages, which was a popular easy meal for families to be made either by men or elder children, many of whom were bribed by their fathers to cook. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Someone quoted, what happened that day was the first step for women's emancipation in Iceland. It completely paralyzed the country and opened the eyes of many men. Someone said it was a baptism of fire for some fathers, which... may explain the other name the day has been given the long friday (laughs) (laughs) cheers yes (laughs) so during the day off 25,000 out of the population of 225,000 which is a fuck ton people in iceland gathered in the center of what is it's really it's a populist yeah Reykjavik. reykjavik iceland's capital for rally at the rally, women listened to speakers, sang, and talked to each other about what could be done to achieve gender equality in Iceland. There were many speakers, including a housewife, two members of the parliament, a representative of the women's movement, and a female worker. The last speech of the day was by someone I cannot pronounce, and I apologize. Can you see it? Can you pronounce that word for me, please? Adelhir Bjamfristadr. <laughs> That's a good one. Bar- Bjarn... Freya's daughter, okay. I would guess. Um, who represented the trade union for the lowest paid women in Iceland. Okay. Um, someone said it was the rule of grassroots. Um, <clears throat> and all, it was, in all seriousness, a quiet revolution. It was this sense of togetherness, the calm and quiet determination that most women remember from that day. Um, a 31-year-old student at the University of Iceland and now a teacher helped organize the rally. Um... She claims that the participation was so widespread because women from all political parties and the union felt able to work together and make it happen. I'm like, I'm saying 90 fucking percent. Can you even imagine? And this is like, it's not just in the major cities. They include, it's the rural cities of Iceland too. They just let, they're like, no, I'm not doing any housework. I'm not doing anything. You do it all. And just walk it out, which is astounding. And it can show what can be done if 90% of a certain population comes together to do something. Because I'll tell you the, a little bit of the aftermath. There's like a big up and then a little slow. But we'll get to that. We're almost there. But I just okay. love this so much. It just it gives me a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. Um, make it happen. Um, the atmosphere, atmosphere at the rally was incredible. Um, there was a student at the time who was 19 and had just found out she was pregnant. It was a difficult time, she remembers, but pe- being part of the rally made her feel that she was connected to a bigger force, as most rallies are, and they're very, like, intoxicating in a good way, hopefully. Yeah. Um, 
Um, meanwhile, there was a 21-year-old at the time stood in the crowd quietly crying. She could not believe that an old family friend was going to be one of the rally's main speakers. She represented the trade union for the lowest paid women in Iceland. It wasn't, I don't know if it was the same one as before. Actually, it is. Reading her first public speech now sends a chill down the spine. She said, men have governed the world since time immemorial, and what has the world been like? She asked in her deep, gravely voice. Answering herself, she, de she described a world soaked in blood and earth populated and exploited by the point of ruin. It's like deep. <laughs> You're good. Um, so back to the, like, the actual like day off yeah. so the 25,000 women rallied in the capital so it it brought traffic to a standstill in the capital obviously the stoppage lasted it until midnight midnight excuse me at which time women workers were due to be on shift returned to work obviously so the aftermath of the whole thing like what came up and this was just one fucking day um, all it, it kind of reads into is like it actually said it did open at first they said the men I don't know if I'm going to speak of what it said after that but um, the men at first thought oh it's whatever like they weren't like against it but they're like oh it's nothing it's nothing because like you said maybe a few people show up yeah it'll be something but the fact that 90% showed up they're like oh maybe they are pissed about something <laughs> um, Iceland's parliament passed a law guaranteeing equal pay the following year but hold your, don't applause yet. The strike also paved the way for the election of Vigdis Vignum, <laughs> the first Democrat. Oh, you go ahead. Vigda, uh, Vigdis Finnbogadotter. Yeah. Finnbogadotter. I feel like Something that's right, like that. yeah. Um, the first democratically elected female president in the world five years later. Nice. So Iceland was the first one. Cheers to feminism. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Vigdis, I'll only say a little bit about her. I haven't looked too much about her because I don't have enough time. And I wanted to just focus on this particular day. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, like, it, they, all the articles said the same thing. I wanted so much more. But um, Vigdis was born on April 15th, 1930. Two days before her birthday. <laughs> she was the fourth president of Iceland, by the way, from August of 1980 until 1996. She was the world's first democratically, like I said, directly elected female president. With a presidency of exactly 16 years, she also remains the longest serving elected female, female head of state of any country to date. And currently she is a goodwill ambassador and a member of the Club of Madrid. She is also today Iceland's only female president. Okay. She's still alive. I think she's 88 years old. I would do want to look her up later. She might be on another episode. Yeah. We can go. yeah. Um, so all that's happened. Yada, yada, yada. So every 10 years on the anniversary of the day off, women stop work early. Um, so in 1975, the women, they left work. They said in 1975, they left work at two five 5 PM, which wasn't even the whole fucking day. Right. And in 2005, they left at 2.08 p.m., reflecting the amount of progress made in 30 years. That's three minutes. Increasing the, inf increasing the frequency of strikes, in 2010, they left work at 2.25 p.m., and in 2016, they left at 2.38 p.m., with many women taking part of the Viking clap outside this place. So, 
before getting to like pay gaps. Blah blah. Women in Iceland still only earn around 80% of men's wages, and as everywhere else, women continue to be massively disproportionately. Um, it goes on to other things about like victims of domestic abuse and sexual violence. The one thing that killed me was when I read that Iceland's criminal code allowed the waiving of punishment for rapists by husbands or partners up until recently, 2007. The United States can't say any shit about that because they're right there with them. Um, in Iceland today, subsidized. Here's some good things, and that's why they they do talk about Nordic countries like as for us to like look to them for equal pay even though they're not there like equalization in Iceland today subsidized child care entitles each parent to three months of paid leave which is amazing plus an additional three months to share as they choose which I think is phenomenal nearly 80% of Icelandic women do work outside the home and nearly half the company board members are women which is impressive um, there are roughly two women for every three men in parliament which is a huge progress since 1975 and it said the World Economic Forum's 2016 Global Gender Gap Index, which is the thing I need to look into, <laughs> ranked Iceland as number one out of 144 countries to, uh, out of 144 total countries for the eighth consecutive year. Woo. Woot. Yes. Yet, especially for the world's most feminist country, gender inequality continues to be a discussion. In this said in 2005, though, the pay gap was only 64%, but now it's 80%. Um, and, uh, yeah, it said it hovers around 14% at this time, 14% less, so it's at 84% maybe now. Um, but even still, they are considered the number one country for the eighth consecutive year for the gender gap index was still just that... And it might also be, I hate to put a damper on it, because it's all white people. Almost. 99%. So, that talks about one day. And I feel like it actually was a huge, it was a really, really big deal yeah. there. And I think it made a huge impact more than, like, we think over here. Like, oh, it's just one day, you can say... Oh, yeah, they did all these other things because of other reasons. But I think that this actually was an eye-opening source for them. And it's because 95% and, like, they got Labor Party people to come together. You got, like, the high elite class people to come together and be like, no, this is a big deal. And the fact is, is, like, do you remember a time when 90% of, like, one kind of person? And that's why that one sh um, documentary I saw actually talked about it. And they talked about what a difference it made for that country, like, I should have watched the episode before I did this again, but I don't have time, but. What was the documentary? It's the, um, Netflix Explained, so it's a okay. little mini documentary series where it talks about just random shit for yeah. 30 minutes, and one of them is about the, or, uh, um, the, the gender pay gap, and it actually, like, for a good five minutes out of 30 minutes, talked about the specific day in Iceland and why Iceland's so different, and then also talked about other things about having children, I was yeah. like, whatever. Shut up. <laughs> well, you guys heard it here first. Um, we should have a general women's strike in the United States. <laughs> yeah. If we can get 90% of women, all women, to just call out yes. of work and call out of child care, we might be able to uh, close the pay gap. Mm -hmm. Not with the motherfucker in charge, but maybe <laughs> in a few years. Um, but I thought it was pretty impressive. And I, I remember reading that, yeah. I think we should have a women's strike until... Trump is out of office. Until I think that should be mm, out of office. Yeah. 
office. Yeah. I think that should be the uh, the goal there. That's great. Just get him out of office. Call Samson like women love me. Ugh. <laughs> Fifty-four percent uh, of white women did vote for him. So. I know. Fuck white women. Sometimes <laughs> they're awful. Correction: fifty-four percent of white women voters, not all. White yeah, that's women, true. But fifty-four percent of white women people who voted did vote for him. That's awful. Uh, and sadly, not surprising. Yeah. But I want to end on a high note. So, so I am really excited about what. Like, I think it's really it's really cool just to read about how like these 90% yeah. of like these women like you're like no we're doing it and can you imagine in 1975 in these small rural countries you don't have Twitter or Facebook you're like right. you just go on the faith that everyone else is doing it and they did and they still did it I think that's amazing it's pretty awesome yeah they're like I'm doing it and they did it's so great I love it Mercury has moved under our recording table for all of you who are curious about uh, what the dog is doing yeah uh, do you want to get out of here? I do. Okay. <laughs> um, as always, uh, you can find us online mm -hmm. at absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. We've got my books. Please mm -hmm. buy them. Uh, we've got artwork from Katie White. She is open for commissions if you want to get her to draw you anything. Uh, we've got music from Chet Osman and Joshua Paul Brooks. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Absinthe Activism Arts. You can find us on Twitter at Absinthe Act Art. And you won't see that activated till when? April 1st. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a little it. bit over a month we're to <laughs> figure out what we're going to post. Good. I've got uh, time. I've got ideas. <laughs> uh, you, if you want to become a patron and help us buy more uh, new microphones and uh, mixer and all of that stuff, um, you can find us on Patreon at Absinthe Activism Arts. Um, if you want to see pictures of the dog, you can find me on Instagram <laughs> yes. at AWM Rights. So I showed Megan dogs of Mercury <laughs> today. Here he is. It's all on your Instagram. <laughs> if you uh, if you are on the Fediverse, I am on Mastodon at AWM Rights. I am also on uh, um, Diaspora at AWM AWM Rights. Um, that is everything yeah, I think so okay cool um, we're gonna get out of here um, hopefully the new mic uh, sounded a little bit better fingers crossed uh, we love you have a good week mm-hmm